folks, it's Ross James, and you're listening to another episode of Songs That Saved Me. I hope everybody had a good week, had a good 4th of July weekend. I'm, I'm stoked about the program today. I've got Chuck Prophet on, who's one of, my, uh, one of my favorite Bay Area musicians. Super prolific. He's been in all sorts of bands and so many solo records, and he's got a new solo record coming out August 21st. It's called The Land That Time Forgot. And the, the new single off of it, uh, Love Doesn't Come From the Barrel of a Gun, dropped yesterday. So go ahead and make sure you check it out and uh, get ready for that new record coming in August because it's uh, from what I've heard, it's really, really great. And uh, it, it's cool talking with him today, you know, tracing back some of the time he spent really, really grinding it out, touring in Europe for months on end. And he picked a, a really diverse group of tunes that I think you guys are going to enjoy listening to him uh, discuss with me here. And if you're liking the podcast, go give us a follow on Instagram at songs that saved me. And while you're there, you can click the link in our profile and you'll see a link that says Spotify playlist. You go ahead and click that and it'll take you straight to our uh, ever growing, ever expanding playlist of all the songs featured here on the show. And if you want to check out the tunes that Chuck talks about in today's episode, that's where you can hear them. If you want to help keep the show commercial free, go on to patreon.com slash songs that save me to become a member of the show. And please, please don't forget to leave us a review right here in the Apple Podcast Store. Without further ado, here's my chat with Chuck Prophet. Right on, man. Well, how are you doing today, Chuck? I'm all right. Where, where are you? I'm in Denver now. I used to be in the Bay Area. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. We played together one time. Uh, you played Joker Man with us at the Great American Music Hall. Wait a minute. Who are you? Help, help me out a little bit. <laughs> My name is Ross James. So did you play? <laughs> what did you play? I was playing guitar and singing a little bit that night. I play with Phil. Um, we were doing like Dead and Dylan stuff. I play with Phil Lesh. Right, of course. Yeah, well, everybody on that gig was great. There was two drummers, a great yeah, bass it was, player. Yeah, it was a shit show. Yeah, And was I, was, I was totally... Um, uh, impressed by um, uh, Phil's uh, son, um, Graham. Oh, Graham. Lesh. Graham. Yeah, 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 yeah. I thought Graham was a really uh, sensitive player. I thought I was very impressed by that. You know, nice. Yeah, yeah. That was a yeah. wonderful night. I, I could, man. I wish we could do that more often. I mean, I know man. it's great to be <laughs> in the crowd um, for for those two sets. You know. <laughs> Yeah, man. So, you know, during all this craziness, how you been holding up? Have you been writing? Have you been inspired? What's it what's it been like for you? Well, I'm you know, I'm trying not to write because, you know, next thing you know, you gotta you know, you write something, you gotta wrestle that to the ground, and then you start thinking about making records and you know, I had just finished a record before this started. Yeah. So, you know, the band we were we were in pretty good shape when we were ready to go out there and do the hand-to-hand combat with a bunch of new songs. And <laughs> we'd even gone out and done a little tour of Texas and gone out and played uh, uh, three shows at the Continental Club in Austin. And uh-huh. that's when everything just kind of, that's when it, it all came down, you know, and the City Fathers yeah, shut everything down. So, I mean, the big secret for me to answer your question is how, how the big secret is, I, I think, I, is it really that big of a secret that musicians are homebodies? <laughs> yeah exactly you know <laughs> yeah so you've been you know digging the time at home and uh you know i mean are you, are you anxious to get back out there i know the record comes out in august right yeah i mean i'm itchy to do that stuff but i i, I enjoy the big pause button 
I'm not worried yeah. about today or tomorrow. I'm not worried about going stir crazy, but I, I really, um, would like to go out and work this record and go out and see the people out there that I see year after year. And, and I miss that. And yeah. I'm, you know, I'm not really concerned about like today or tomorrow, but I, I, I do, I do worry about the big picture, you know, the whole, the whole ecosystem of how, uh, what makes the big wheels roll, you know, the, from the merch table to the sound men, to the door people, to the audience, to, uh, to the, the clubs making their rent every month. And, you know, I don't really, I don't really work with a lot of promoters. I don't work with a lot of major promoters. So, mm -hmm. um, I work with a lot of mom and pop promoters and they're, they're not going to, they're not part of some larger entity that's going to, yeah. that's going to carry them through it. Like Saudi Arabia and oil money or anything that, <laughs> you know, so, well, you never know, man. I mean, part of, uh, I'm kind of hoping that one thing that comes out of this is a bit more of a grassroots kind of ecosystem, like to use the word you were using, you know, just because so many people that I've talked to during this period are doing things themselves that they hadn't done for a long time, you know, and you can do it and we can sustain and we don't necessarily need all that extra fat, you know? So I'm hoping that maybe there are more independent promoters that come out of this or, or if they can weather the storm, you know? Well, I guess th that remains to be seen, you know? I mean, um, yeah. if there's money to be made, you know, corporate America is going <laughs> to, they're just going to gobble it up like raw meat, you know? Yeah. Uh, my concern is that, you know, here in my neighborhood in the Castro, you know, I see so many businesses boarded up and I, yeah. I, I think one day the boards will come off, but it'll just be a, you know, a Starbucks on each corner and a Olive Garden, you know. <laughs> God, I hope not, man. You know, you know Alan Forbes, yeah. Well, in what context? Who's Alan? <laughs> I, I mean, he's he's a friend of mine. I've had him like on the podcast before, and I like just as like following him on Instagram. It feels like he just posts pictures of like his favorite haunts that are closing down. You know, just everything shuttered, and he's kind of in that same area of town. Right. Well, it's been a long time coming. I mean, uh, with the tax breaks for the rich and, um, you know, uh, the kind of box storeization of our country, you know, it's, all this mm -hmm. stuff has been a long time coming. Yeah. Um, yeah. A lot of, a lot of your new record kind of focuses on, on those sort of themes too. Is that right? I don't know. I suppose. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm at a place in my life where I'm, I, I I'm so far away from certain things. I I can romanticize anything. Yeah. Yeah, I tell you, man. I'm reading um, "It Can't Happen Here" by uh, Sinclair Lewis. Have you ever read that? No, that sounds interesting. Yeah, he wrote it like uh, in the in the depression, in the middle of the depression, and didn't really. I mean, nobody could have realized that he was sort of forecasting what happened in, in Italy and Germany and and a lot of what's happening in our country right now. It's it's crazy. Just I, I just started it. A friend of mine tipped me onto it and I, I'm just a couple chapters in and like the parallels to some of the stuff that's going on in our country, just the prejudice, the the lies, like turning the media against everyone. Like it, it's it's crazy. It's the, we're just, they're just operating out of a playbook that's that's as old as time really i mean as long as people have been in power well but i it's, mean it's a good read yeah i mean i think it's a good idea to look to history i mean i 
I initially looked to the Dust Bowl, how we got out of that, you know. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Uh, and it occurred to me that what we had was leadership, you know, and that's probably a longer conversation. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, um, you know, are you, are you turning to, before we jump into some of the songs that you maybe picked out, have you been listening to a lot of music during this period? I know that I'll, you know, I really enjoy those moments where I throw on a record and just kind of like dive into it and immerse myself in it. It's been a good escape for me during these times have you been doing that kind of oh, thing oh yeah I, i've been doing a lot of listening i mean I, I i you know under normal circumstances i probably have a pretty healthy appetite you know yeah right <laughs> um yeah i mean you know yeah i've been doing a, a lot of listening for me mostly because you know i'm not i'm not uh, preparing for a tour or getting over a tour or, yeah. or heading in for a session or something so i'm just listening for pleasure yeah yeah, it's a nice kind of break to really, you know, n you know, not have those immediate like things going on in front of you. Whether you have like a, a session set up, like you're saying, or, or, or a tour, where you kind of have this this unknown length of time to really dive into, you know, living and 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 those distractions kind of go away. That that's one positive that I've, that I've definitely found. Well, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know how, if I'm blessed or cursed with some sort of manic um, <laughs> energy, but I have been going from pillar to post, you know, uh, from uh, what, what Ry Cooter used to call the treadmill of horror, you know, <laughs> where, you know, you're, it's just like I, I'm either getting material together in the studio or I'm on tour and I, I feel like I'm never even caught up, you know. Yeah. I yeah. feel always feel like that first week out on the road that I'm really underprepared and yeah you know, I, mean, I, I don't know it's just been that way forever. Yeah, I, th I think a lot of people are that way. You know, I talked to Marcus King not too long ago, and he was like, "I don't think I've ever been home for this long in my life." You know, it's it's a unique feeling, and I wonder afterwards if there are going to be people that are like, you know, maybe I don't want to go back to that. I kind of like this thing it'll be interesting to see what it all looks like well that's road. fine because it's, it's it's you know it's crazy enough out there on the hillbilly highway <laughs> you know when i pull into a when i pull into a rest stop and i see six econoline vans and you <laughs> yeah, know trailers. i see the skinny jeans and the and the and the and the, and the, and the high tops you know <laughs> <laughs> well man you know i i love i love your records and i, I love like all the ground that they cover and I've, I've been really interested to hear about some of your influences and some of the songs you picked so you want to jump in with song oh, of course one? yeah um well the first song i picked was don williams i believe in you uh-huh and um you know i mean I, I i was under the impression you kind of wanted to go chronologically yeah 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 we'll sort of start earlier on yeah yeah i mean there's just so much content in that song i mean i'm old enough to remember when it was on the am radio Mm -hmm. um driving my mom's crappy toyota around and uh <laughs> um later on i met a bass player that played with don williams and he told me that don williams never recorded a cheating song and i, I thought for country music that was pretty interesting but yeah this <laughs> the, this song it's got so many details um it's so full of details and there's so much content and i guess really ultimately that's what makes it all the more believable um so yeah. um it's also just a completely audacious song <laughs> and um yeah i just 
I, I just think it's delightful. And you know, and 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 as a teenager driving around hearing this, you know, spilling out of the AM radio, um, it just captured my imagination. Were you big into country music as a kid? No, I wasn't really big into anything, really. I mean, I was into the radio. I mean, I didn't, you know, I mean, I was into my older sister's records. and But I did, there was a station here in the Bay Area, KNEW, which was a country music station. And I used to listen to that, you know. Mm-hmm. It was where, I mean, I was playing in punk rock bands, but it was where, it was where you heard guitar. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, when, when did you start playing? I mean, I started playing when I was 12, you know, or maybe earlier. I mean, 12, you know, uh, junior high. They had a guitar class in school. So that was probably the first time I sat in a circle and played 12-bar blues with guys with acoustics. (laughs) And then each guy would take a solo. You just go in a circle. Yeah, right. Do that for an hour. Yeah, pentatonic scale, man. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, so you started playing in punk bands shortly after that, like in high school? Or? Well, I mean, I had little cover bands in the neighborhood, and but um, when I was about 16, you know, uh, my family moved to the Bay Area, and um, yeah, it just, you know, I mean, it exposed me to so many things. I immediately started going into the city and... Um, seeing punk rock shows like the Dead Kennedys and stuff. I mean, even though my record collection, you know, would have been, I wasn't ready to throw away my Jimi Hendrix records. Yeah, right. (laughs) You know, and so, um, you know, but, but, you know, I I saw so many bands around that time and they did all have one thing in common. They they were all kind of laying it on the line in an effort, you know, to express themselves. And that really, that really um, connected with me. So I played in a lot of bands, you know, in my teenage years. And, uh, you know, I don't know if they were all punk rock, but we were trying to write our own songs. Yeah. And, um, yeah, and, and, you know, a lot of my influence came from the radio. I used to tune into the Maximum Rock and Roll show out of Calex. Uh, and the guys that hosted that show, you know, they'd play uh, locally made punk rock records, which I thought was just so fascinating. And they also would play mm-hmm. imports from England, you know. Mm-hmm. And they might interject some progressive politics into the mix, but they also would play, you know, the Kinks. And yeah. I used to tape that show, and that that had a big influence on me. Yeah, uh, the, that kind of thing is, you know, having everything so readily available, you know, on on the internet and YouTube and Spotify and everything, it takes a little bit of the magic out of it for me. You know, like it's almost like a treasure hunt kind of thing back in the day when you would actually listen to the radio and you hear a tune. I remember like rushing to get a cassette, you know, to record it so that you could hear it again or at least remember what it was. And that that whole concept is totally gone now, you know. It's just <laughs> it's a different world. Yeah, I mean it's uh, I mean it's for the better in many ways. So, yeah? In many ways, but you know, I mean I'm a movie person as well. Yeah. And um and I never really got thrilled with watching a movie at home. You know, I never really was have been that thrilled. And yeah. and it's just gotten everything's gone backwards because now there's laptops and iPads. Yeah, right. Um, so uh, so many of the films that I saw, so much of my education was just seeing films here in places like the the Red Vic or the Strand on Market or the the York Theater out on York and Twenty Fourth. I mean, I, I I mean I uh, the the electric theater on market street I, I, the vogue the you know all these 
places mm-hmm. where I saw so many movies over the years. Um, that was also kind of my education, you know. The the I, I think that the buyers for the theaters would, um, you know, they would curate their monthly calendars as well. So, mm-hmm. you know, I saw all kind, of, you know, all the French New Wave filmmakers, and you know, uh, uh, you know, I, I mean, I, I, one of my, you know, when I met my wife, um, she was going out with this other uh, with another friend of mine at the time, but <laughs> we had we had all gone to see. Uh, uh, Godfathers one and two back to back at the York over on Twenty Fourth Street, uh-huh. and you know we got in there at like noon, and when we got out of the theater, I mean the, the, it was dark. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> and I was so impressed by her, you know, that she would do that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh man! So back to the the Don Williams tune, man. What, is there anything sort of specific in it? Are there lyrics that kind of inspired you? Is there is there something from it that you took other than just the just the vibe the, I mean, just how 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 you can put so many things into songs, hmm. you know. Um, I, I think the problem with singer songwriters today, uh, for me, you know, mm-hmm. in terms of getting excited about a singer songwriter, is they all sound like singer songwriters, mm-hmm. you know. And um, you know, challenge, you know, hey, look. You can learn your Steve Earle songs, you can learn your Towns Van Zandt songs, you know, and your Hank Williams, and, and this is all great stuff, you know, um, and that, that can give you some, you know, and of course Dylan, you know, that, I mean, all this stuff helps to give you some kind of framework, you know, mm-hmm. and hopefully you can insert your own personality and your own individual right. uh, whatever into the frame, you know, and so I, I like to see more of that, and this Don Williams song, it's got a lot in there. You'll hear it. <laughs> yeah, man. Um, so, uh, you know, that's sort of, you know, you're driving your mom's car, listening to the radio. Uh, what, what's next? What's, what's song number two where you at in your life when uh, this one comes out? Well, uh, when I, I, I was in a group called Green on Red, and, you know, by the age of 20, we were doing some pretty long European tours. They were pretty grimy. Uh, you know, we would do a couple months with no days off and, um, Man. you know, we'd drive around in a sprinter van and we'd have a British road manager and occasionally he'd pull over, uh, and go to a phone box and, um, you know, he'd come out and say like, oh, they just added uh, 12 shows in Italy and, uh. You know, he'd write them down. He'd write them down. <laughs> so, oh, you know, so I have a lot of memories from those tours. And I think somebody in England gave us a cassette of Mickey Newbery. And um, it was new to me. But, uh, it, you know, the group Green on Red, we were a five-piece band. Let me tell you, we couldn't agree on much. But one thing we did agree on was we agreed on Mickey Newbery. And we would listen to this at night, especially with, like, overnight drives. Uh, and uh, just the sound of this record, um, uh, the, the the silky sound of his voice, all the drama in the record. I think it's kind of a six eight groove. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just makes me homesick every time I hear it. And um, um, it also inspired me in terms of like how much drama you know you can you can put into a record. So What's the name of the tune. Uh, it's the called "The, the Future's Not What It Used to Be" by Mickey Newbury future is not what it used to be all right so in in six eight and like is it is it is it 
totally different from the kind of stuff you guys are playing oh the, yeah. In, yeah 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 oh yeah we would never want to listen to that kind of stuff you know? <laughs> i mean we, we, we wouldn't listen to our any of our peers no way yeah <laughs> yeah so, so so i mean when the music we made we made because you know because we were young and dumb and we had a handful of open chords and you know we had a kind of a country rock thing and mm-hmm. and and we would stretch the songs out and people said it sounded like neil young and okay you know mm-hmm. uh but hardly by design really um it was just the sound we all made when we played together i mean we really weren't we really weren't that clever you know <laughs> but um you know those late night drives um mickey newberry was was really soothing it was like a bedtime story and i recently re-listened to this record um especially the track the future's not what it used to be and um and I realized this is the kind of record that's best listened to in the dark. Yeah. So anybody who's listening to this podcast, I'm going to request that you either put a blanket over your head or <laughs> turn, <laughs> if it's nighttime, turn off all the lights and and just kind of let it roll over you. Now, when you you know you, you said you recently listened back to it, does it does it take you right back to that moment? Kind of, uh, what does it do to you? Yeah, you yeah, it gives me the blues. You know, I mean, in in, in sort of a glorious way. Yeah, yeah. Like I say, you know, I mean, I think of some of the real grimy circumstances that I think of that bus with poor ventilation and well, that that (laughs) van with poor ventilation. I remember driving from like Bergen, Oslo down to Stockholm and just freezing. Um, uh, Yet now, you know, somehow it's romantic to me. So right. if you give me enough time, I, like I said, I could, you know, I could romanticize anything. <laughs> well, you know, when you're further, far enough away from that kind of stuff, it always seems way better than it was at the time. I mean, yeah, well, that's the beauty of it. I mean, I, I mean, uh, Mickey Newberry is like unlocks the door. <laughs> now, do you, uh, do, do you ever look at, look back at, at times like that for uh, inspiration for, for writing tunes nowadays? Do you ever write about, you know, past experiences in your life from that sort of romanticized perspective like that? Yeah, it's all in there. Sure. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, it's all in there, you know. How long uh, was that band kind of active? How long were you guys doing stuff? Well, I guess... Um I probably joined the band in 84, you know, um, I don't know if it petered out somewhere in the early nineties. I mean, uh, 93, maybe I'm not quite sure, mm-hmm. but you know, we made about 10 records. Mm-hmm. Let's see in 85, we made gas food lodging in 86. We made no free lunch in 87. We made the killer inside me in 88. We made, uh, here come the snakes. The next year we made, um, this time around and we just kind of went on and on i mean I, I don't know how we did it honestly yeah i mean it's so a record a year is is such a i feel like nobody's really doing that anymore you know well I mean, you know not to mention the fact that it took some doing you know i mean yeah i mean it's, they were made in different like, they were made in different places in the world under different circumstances and mm-hmm. you know i mean it took some doing um it cost you know, I mean, it was a high stakes thing. You know, people say, you know, it's kind of like filmmaking. If you were to make a film and on 35 millimeter film and, and uh, everything that goes into that in today's dollars, you know, Ray Charles had a quote. He said, uh, you know, making a film is, uh, 
is about as easy as boning the president's wife. <laughs> <laughs> so making those records used to take some doing. We were, you know, I mean, the fact that we were able to show up and, and get it done, um, you know, and we were pretty limited musically. Um, you know, we were just kind of learning as we were going. And mm-hmm. it just seems like as soon as we got off the road, we dusted ourselves off and we were back in the studio. And um, I mean, I don't know how we did it. I really don't. Well, I mean, are, are you kind of doing that same thing nowadays? You know what I mean? Are you still, you're still putting out all kinds of records and touring all the time? And, you know, I mean, h- how different is your schedule compared to then, I guess? Um, I, I, well, it's a little bit, it was a little bit like, uh, you know, orange juice from concentrate back then. It was just the concentrated <laughs> part, you know, which if you throw that at somebody, hit them in the head, you can hurt them. Yeah. <laughs> but now things are a little more water, you know, now things are a little more reasonable, but I yeah. still feel that way. It takes longer to get the records out now. We used to turn them around really fast. Mm-hmm. Uh, the manufacturing seemed to turn around really fast. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you were to sit on a record for six months, that would have been unthinkable back then. Yeah. I mean, you come out, out of six months, you know, you may not even be in the music six months from now. <laughs> you know, I mean, um, that was something that, that that's hard to get my head around. Uh, you know, my new record, The Land, The Time for God, it probably took six months from the time I delivered it till it hit the streets. So, uh-huh. you know, that that's, uh, I think we used to get them out in like three weeks or something. Man, manufactured and everything once it's once. Yeah, they'd get recording. those cassettes going out to the press yeah. and, you know, we'd have some gigs. And I mean, I, I don't know. Yeah, it, it seemed pretty like a pretty quick turnaround. Crazy, yeah. So, um, with, you know, with, with, with Don Williams and, and with Mick, Mickey Newberry, were those guys influencing the music you guys were writing or it was just, you know, a totally separate kind of thing? Just you, you listening for enjoyment, but then you were inspired and influenced by other things for the music you guys were creating. I mean, I think we were inspired and influenced by anything. Yeah. You know, any riff, anything that came our way, we didn't question it. You know, we just jumped on it. Yeah, nice. I mean, we couldn't, you know, we never had some band meeting and say like, oh, well, you know, I'm really thinking a lot of Mickey Newberry. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? I mean, I, I mean, I know that's very common today and with record I can't making. Imagine. Yeah, that kind won't... of conscious thing, though. It seems so odd to me. What's that? Well, just like the, that sort of premeditated, like, like thinking about different influences and, and trying to do that. Like what you're saying about... The, the way you put it about not being that clever, you know, like to me, that's, that's the only way to make real music, you know, just being authentic and, and, and not contrived, you know, I, I guess. Well, I mean, I mean, I think that's okay. I mean, you know, a lot of, some people grow up learning guitar through, um, Mickey Baker's book, you know, the great mm-hmm. Mickey Baker, uh, wrote the book on, on guitar. Right. Um, some people grow up, uh, just listening to records and I think that's also legitimate yeah. so you know I mean when Bruce Springsteen said that you know he wanted Born to Run to have all the language and, and the imagery of Bob Dylan with the sound of Phil Spector and uh, Dwayne Eddy's guitar and all the <laughs> all the drama of a Roy Orbison record you know I, I understand what he was trying to do and I, I think he did it yeah well yeah <laughs> so you know I, I, I think that's okay Sure. Yeah, man. Um, that's well, where we learn the, our language, you know. It's uh, yeah, totally. That, that, that's that's kind of how we learn uh, this kind of secret language of rock and roll. Um, and it helps to play with others to know things. 
you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the best thing. I mean, since I, you know, since I, like on my trip, since I first started, I've always made it a point to just try and play with people that are better than me. You know what I mean? The, that's the best way I've found to really grow and, and learn, learn the language, you know, from people who speak it. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, and, cool. and, find, and find that common overlap, you know, and that's what enables people to play together. And uh, Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the common overlap and then also finding, you know, the, the, the differences and, and, and negotiating those. That's kind of my favorite part of it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, right on. So where, after, after, you know, this band, uh, sees, sees its course and, and, and where are you at kind of next? What's, what's song number three for you, Chuck? Well, um, I made a couple solo records, uh, and at at a certain point, I kind of burned through a couple record deals, and uh, I I didn't know if I was going to really make records anymore, you know. Um, but I I spent a little bit of time in like '97 in Nashville. I had a publisher who um, who put me together with a lot of writers on on Music Row, and and um, mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I would get a rental car and a per diem and, and um, it was kind of an adventure for me. I mean, it was <laughs> I think it was kind of surprising to me that all this stuff that I'd learned being in bands, you know, trying to uh, put songs together uh, helped me in the end, you know, because mm-hmm. when I went to Nashville, I mean, I, I understood basic song structure and, you know, how a bridge can take you somewhere different musically or give you a different perspective. And so I, I was really uh, not particularly confident when I went there, but, but I had a publisher who thought that it would be a good idea. And so uh, I, I threw myself into it and, and, and I wrote some songs, uh, you know, that got recorded. And uh, one of the people that I, that I had met before through Green on Red and Spooner Oldham was Dan Penn. And of course, Dan Penn wrote all these great songs, these kind of um, defining uh, soul songs of the 60s, like Dark End of the Street and Do Right yeah. Man, Do Right Woman, and It Tears Me Up, and You Left the Water Running for Otis Redding. And and one of the songs that uh, Dan Penn and Spooner Oldham wrote um, was a song called I'm Your Puppet. Hmm. Um, and the, the record that we know uh, that you would hear on the oldie stations is by James and Bobby Purify. Uh, it's a great record. Uh, Dan Penn actually engineered it. Um, hmm. The drums are really cracking, man. They just sound like they're hitting the tape so hard. They're kind of distorted, and it's a perfect record. But um, as much as I love that record, uh, somewhere in the 90s, Dan Penn and Spoon Oldham went over to England and played some gigs. Um, and... Uh, recorded a live album and um and you can find it i think it's called from this theater or a night in this theater dan penn and spooner oldham and mm-hmm. you can hear them doing um their version of i'm your puppet and it really lets the song breathe and um it's not as sort of urgent as the as the uh james and bobby purify version but it's you know it's it's the two guys that wrote it and it's very relaxed and of course dan penn is like the greatest soul singer you never heard. Um, and it's just, um, you know, just one of those rare things of beauty. I don't know what to say. It never lets me down. <laughs> so, I mean, do you, 
you were inspired by that tune when you were in Nashville? You heard it on the radio or something? Or? Well, I grew up knowing that song on the radio, and I grew yeah. up you know, hearing Do Right Man, Do Right Woman on the radio and all that stuff. Sure. But I had met sure. Dan Penn, and I had done some writing with him. We eventually got a song cut by Solomon Burke. We got a song cut wow. by Kelly Willis. And I wrote, I ended up writing a fair amount of songs with Dan Penn. Man, yeah. And getting to know him, and um, which was great. And the, the greatest part of it was probably... Um, getting to record demos in Dan's basement in Nashville. Um, and oftentimes, you know, I would play like the, his Farfisa or I'd play the drums and he just loved it, you know. And then we would sit in the control room and, and put the mic between us and have the lyrics and Dan would do the vocal, um, um, you know, last. And uh, let me tell you, man, sitting like six inches away from Dan Penn while he's doing a vocal is, is, uh, is pretty thrilling. <laughs> I I love that you talk about a tune that was sort of a hit, uh, but but then the performance you're talking about is the one by the writer, you know, and it, that immediately made me think of like Cowboy Jack Clement, you know what I mean, and and the tunes that he would wrote that he wrote like for Johnny Cash or whatever. But his yeah, Ballad of a Teenage like, Queen, and oh, that's like my favorite. I and, love that. And yeah. guess things happen that way. And uh, his performance of those tunes. I mean, I love Johnny Cash's versions, obviously, but but when Cowboy Jack plays them, for, there's just something special about it, you know? Yeah, Cowboy Jack, great singer, kind of a fast vibrato, really mm-hmm. interesting guy. And, you know, I mean, not to mention the fact that, I mean, he engineered yeah, Ring, of, exactly. Ring of Fire. He engineered yeah. Great Balls of Fire, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, I, I got to know Jack a little bit uh, in Nashville. Oh, wow. uh, cool. Yeah. Um, had you ever done that kind of writing before you went to Nashville? You know, that, that really kind of intentional writing with other people? Well, I was in bands, you know, it really trained but, me. Yeah. 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 To- I, totally trained to- me for all that stuff. I just didn't yeah. know it. Yeah. Um, you, do you, do you find that you do that kind of writing still these days or, or for your solo records are you mainly writing the tunes yourself no i co-write like? i mean my last record i pretty much co-wrote the whole record with kurt Lipschutz. he's a longtime friend of mine we used to write songs uh back in the day we had about a 10-year interruption um mm-hmm. i know we fell I, we could write a book about how you know each of us wronged each other but uh, <laughs> <laughs> he likes to say that we fell out over money that there was just simply too much of it <laughs> but um he um you know he and i are we're just able to get in a room and um we never run out of things to talk about i don't know how else to explain it you know yeah. and so we wrote my new record together i mean there's also a song i wrote with kim ritchie and i also write with my guitar player james uh depredo oftentimes mm-hmm. uh so i enjoy that collaboration and i enjoy having an office to go to yeah. Yeah. I think that's, you know, it took me a long time to learn that kind of thing. Like I would just sort of wait for songs to fall out. You know what I mean? Yeah. That can work too. Yeah, totally. But, but it's also, it's also good to like, you know, p- take the time to put your mind in that space, I think, and really, and, and really focus, you know? And, well, I go down to my office and there's a bunch of, there's a bunch of paper on the floor and they're kind of half finished things. And, you know, I start, I'd pick something up and grab an acoustic and start shouting at the walls. And uh, I feel uninhibited, you know? Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, and I leave it there, you know? Yeah, I love that. You know, um, do you, 
I mean, the, the half finished kind of song thing, you know, do you, do you usually eventually finish those tunes or is there a no, lot of stuff that, definitely yeah. not. I have pretty poor discipline. I mean, I would say, <laughs> I would say to people, it's, you know, good advice to finish what you start, but that's just not always the case, you know? Yeah. Right. Some songs will take a year. I don't know, you know, they just take what they take. Yeah. Oftentimes they take a deadline. <laughs> Have you? I mean, when you make your records, is is it is it on like somebody else's schedule? You do, you have a deadline, kind of. Yeah, there's always a deadline. I mean, there's yeah. gigs, there's gigs booked, and I'm trying to keep a band together, and you yeah. know, maybe we'll we'll put some time in the schedule of six months down the road, and and you know, uh, my manager uh, is sensitive to that, and. I mean, even with this record, he said, "I don't know, Chuck." I, 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 he said, "I don't know." My experience is, you know, you put one foot in front of the other. Let's let's just book the time, and so that's what we did. Yeah, you work well under pressure like that. Um. Yeah, I don't know. I I, I couldn't tell you. It gets done, <laughs> and somehow it gets done. But I don't feel like I don't, I don't feel like I'm walking around telling people oh, I work very well under pressure. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I need to get lucky. Yeah, man. And I need to get excited. I mean, I mean, inspiration, sure, you know. Yeah. But another word for that is just exciting, you know. I mean, I need to get excited about what I'm doing. Yeah, keep it interesting. And man. yeah, and, and if I'm excited about what I'm doing, that really helps. Yeah, that's for sure. Well, I'm excited about the new record, man. What I well, heard thank you. sounds great. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I appreciate you taking the time to to chat with me about these tunes, you know. And We've got the you know the clips that we had in the show, but if anybody wants to hear the whole uh, the whole versions of these songs, they can check out the Spotify playlist at, in our Instagram profile. There's a link to all the songs we talk about. So if oh, anybody, that's anybody great. Wants, yeah, if you want to dig into them, so beautiful. Well, cool, man. Uh, be good. Be safe during this, and I, I look forward to seeing you back out there on the uh, Hillbilly Highway before too long. <laughs> oh, you got it, my friend. Thanks a lot. Well, there you go. I hope you liked today's episode of Songs That Saved Me featuring Chuck Prophet. Make sure you listen to his new single and uh, check out the new record coming August 21st. If you're liking what you're hearing, go give us a follow on Instagram at Songs That Saved Me. Visit us at patreon.com slash songs that saved me to become a member of the show. And don't forget to leave us a review right here in the Apple Podcast Store. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Songs That Saved Me.